0: Seba, happy new year, man. Hey, happy new year, bro. I haven't showered since last year. <laughs> yeah.
1: Y- yeah. Wait, Seba, we're, we're five days into the new year. Uh,
0: Let's get straight to business. Yes, sir. <laughs> All right. Today, we are talking to... Monique Chan, founder of Bruised Food Enthusiast, and someone, uh, Jesus made me add this, someone who has been to the great nation of Ecuador. How are you doing today? Oh,
2: (laughs) you found that on the internet somewhere. (laughs) Yes. I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. It's
1: an honor to have you here, and it's an honor to know that you went to the great nation of Ecuador, as uh, (laughs) I was born there, so.
2: (laughs) Oh, amazing. It's a beautiful- Were you really, Jesus?
1: I was, I was. I don't know if you knew that That's It's actually so crazy. It's crazy.
0: <laughs> so for those who don't know, could you just give us a quick rundown of what you guys do at Bruised?
2: Yeah, sure. So Bruised is a social enterprise that's trying to bring awareness surrounding the issue of food waste. So we do that by taking any imperfect produce or ingredients across the supply chain from local farmers or retails and then we transform that into healthy plant-based snacks that are familiar so things like granola made from juice pulp and imperfect bananas and apples and uh, things like imparf is what we call mm-hmm. them they're like these layered parfaits um, mm-hmm. with some imperfect apple compote and yeah, we're we're working right now to expand our product line uh, to have a variety of things and have more everyday staple items that people can incorporate into their daily lives. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we're just trying to break that stigma surrounding food waste that, you know, a lot of these, uh, the concept of food waste is seen as just, you know, rotting food when in reality, a lot of food is just being thrown out for no reason unnecessarily and we're trying to to break that by providing delicious, nutritious and um visually appealing products that people are familiar
1: mm-hmm. with. When was the first time you uh realized that you wanted to do something with food waste?
2: Uh I think it started I think it was the, the main start of it was when I was working in restaurants and I like I just I'm such a frugal person that I don't throw things out like maybe I'm just a hoarder too. <laughs> <laughs> and I just I like to find a use for everything. I just see value in a lot of different things. And um, just working in a restaurant when I was in university, I that was the first time before I was just working in retail. So just working in a restaurant, they one of the tasks was to just throw out everything at the end of the night. It was just so crazy to me because you know at nine fifty nine, that product could have been sold for like four dollars. Once it hits 10 PM, you're throwing it in the garbage and it's worth nothing. Mm-hmm. So it was just like, Why is that a thing? Like what why are I don't I just never could never wrap my head mm. around that. Um, and also just for the business itself, like that's that's money that's you're just throwing out. So I always try to save different things or like give them away to all the staff and no one really wanted them <laughs> after a certain point. And I even like Offered to just like do a run I actually like I lived downtown Guelph at that time and I was like oh I, there's like so many people on the street like I can just on my way home so I can just like give them yeah some food <laughs> um, but they didn't allow me to do that like they didn't want me they ended up finding out that I was trying to like not throw right. things out and they made a rule that we had to eat everything in the in the building and not, um, bring it it outside. Um, and I understand that, I guess, from a business aspect of, you don't want, it just devalues your product, but it was just really sad that a lot of it was wasted. Um, and then that leaded me into taking this course at, uh, university of Guelph in my last year surrounding food waste. It was, it started off with the feeding 9 billion challenge, um, and it was like a hackathon event where you have to come up with like a solution to this issue of food waste in 48 hours. And then that hackathon um, was like the, the pilot of this course called Icon that you would then take um, for the whole semester to work on this project that you pitched at the end of the hackathon. And yeah, that's kind of where my idea of like creating it was originally called Bruised Bar. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, it'd be so cool to, like, mix up my culinary, like, interest with just food that would have been wasted. But I didn't, it was a very vague concept. I didn't have any product Mm -hmm. ideas or anything. Um, And then a couple of years passed because I just didn't have enough support. I just didn't even know where to start. I didn't go to school for business. So I was just, like, flopping around, (laughs) you know, having some existential crises as people do. And I just posted on, like, a Facebook group asking if anyone would be interested in partnering with me and like helping and then one of my friends eva from the same university we knew each other she saw it and she was like oh yeah i'd be interested um so then from there we just started the business (laughs) and And here we are (laughs) yeah (laughs) i mean a few things happened in between (laughs) yeah (laughs) also
0: i think at least from personal experience The scary part is I also worked in a restaurant and I don't know if it's like a universal experience, but I definitely saw a lot of food waste, like you're saying. But generally speaking, I feel like restaurants, because they're on such tight margins, they're trying their best and they like, more or less, they're like, okay, how can I repurpose this? How can I resell this and whatever and turn it into another dish? But they still end up wasting a lot of food, which... is scary because if you look at how much they're wasting and they're like actively trying to at least in my experience to try and repurpose it what's going on in like grocery stores and stuff where they just have the produce out there and then oh it's not good it's immediately thrown out Mm -hmm. yeah which is I think scary
2: and I think uh yeah that's definitely scary just to think (laughs) <laughs> in the one restaurant I'm working in, there's like thousands of other restaurants across the city that are probably doing the same thing. And it, yeah, I definitely give them credit for, for being innovative and trying to find solutions to the waste. I think the issue really is stemmed in educating uh, education of like the workers themselves and also maybe even just delegating one person to kind of overlook food waste in in their business. I think a lot of businesses like it's it's not that they don't want to waste food. Like everyone's goal is just to like, you know, not waste as much money and um and you know resources as possible. But the thing is like everyone's too busy to to do it, that it just it's just a byproduct. And um I think I just being, you know, a part-time worker there and like observing different things, I just had the mental I guess, space to think of all this stuff. And I would even like, I like type, I would always type up like different ideas of like recipes they could do, like even as specials with things that would have just been tossed. Um, but I mean, in general, just having an analysis, like a food waste analysis. I don't know if that's a, if that's a job, but like i would interested <laughs> in doing that because I love doing that <laughs> in my spare time, but just like going in and, and, teaching people how to do things more efficiently to create as least waste as possible on the mm-hmm. other end. And I think that would help prevent waste from being created to begin with. Cause I think the solution to all of this isn't just to, I mean, like what we're doing, we're just, there's so much waste that we're just trying to, you know, create a product out of it. But in reality, like the solution is to not create that waste to begin mm-hmm. with. Right. And like the solution, the the way we can do that is by educating people on how to I guess reevaluate their systems and to be more efficient in that way. But yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a daunting thing to think about when you see all the restaurants across the street and like used I it definitely even changed my perspective of going into grocery stores or restaurants and paying like retail price for this food because you realize like in the back, they're probably just throwing out yeah. so much. That would have been totally Oh, they, they are. Like,
1: I used to work at a, at a, as a yeah. cashier at a grocery store, and uh, whenever I would go to the back to, you know, do my break or, uh, you know, just go to the washroom, I would see the produce people working, and I would see uh, buckets or uh, trash cans filled with rejected product, basically. And uh, that's what they, they just yeah. threw that out like it was nothing.
2: Yeah, and I think it's also because a lot of people, like, the workers don't care too Mm -hmm. so maybe empowering workers to see value in that and you know I think a lot of times like if it's not your problem you just don't want to even deal with it so that's why it's easy for people if it's not their money you know to just throw out all this food but maybe to empower employees of like why you know this makes a difference and and all that could also help but Mm -hmm. yeah yeah I'm working on a solution yeah
0: (laughs) i have a friend who works right now in produce at some local uh, supermarket for us and i was just picking his brain on like how things are going for them how the food waste there is and um he is like not in charge of but semi in charge of reordering and trying to stock for the next days and yeah it's like if people don't have that position of power or they don't feel attached to it like he tells me they have this system where they he puts in how much was sold today and it just spits out a number for him to order and he just accepts it oh, like okay. it's not it's not very in I mean it is intuitive it's just not very hands on like he doesn't nobody's there checking it it's just like a, a system forecast he says mm-hmm. that even with that system oh, I
2: they had a I didn't realize they had a computer <laughs> that did that
0: I don't know if everyone has it but this is like some organic healthy food grocery store or whatever. It's a smaller business. It's a smaller business. Yeah, but still like it's the forecast is the forecast, but at the same time, people are like he'll tell me there's entire buckets or like trash cans full of waste by the end of the day, like four or five hundred dollars, which is absolutely insane. I was just gonna ask, we're talking about like food waste and in general, I think a lot of the focus lies on like businesses Grocery stores, restaurants, you know, even the government to step in and whatever. But Mm -hmm. when I was just looking at it, um, I forget which report it was, but they're saying that around like 47% of food waste in Canada is consumer based. Like it's not, I think grocery stores are 13, restaurants are another 10 or whatever. But the vast, like almost half of the food waste is consumers. Mm -hmm. Why do you think like that we personally as individuals waste so much.
2: I think when you're when you have an abundance to something or easy access to something, you value it less. Mm-hmm. So I think in general like like in society you see all these 24/7 grocery stores that are like always stocked to look full and it's like a psychological trick that these grocery stores do right because when you see a full and fresh looking stand, like you're more willing to buy from it than if you see like one or two apples left, it's like, Oh, those were the leftovers. No one Mm -hmm. wanted them. So I think because we are just so, I guess, privileged to have access to food so easily it, it, we don't see the value in each, in each item and how much went into that item of like it being transported, the the water, the energy, the labor, Mm -hmm that went into that. So it's very, there's a huge disconnect between like where the food comes from and then where it goes after you throw it out. I think there just needs to be a deeper connection with food that, I, that we've definitely lost through convenience of, of these stores and like even delivery. Because we've just started having all these like convenient um, grocery stores and like apps and all these things, like we've lost touch with that. And um, I think that's what's causing us to just waste more because it's like, it's a consumption problem too, right? Just over consuming Mm -hmm. and then uh, just not really just throwing everything out. Like just not really having that connection to the waste. Yeah. That's, I think that's Mm -hmm. what I, my perspective of why people, why a large portion of food is from households. And I also think again, that also stems from just education. Like people, because people don't know how to cook, they don't know what to do with certain ingredients, um, or they don't—they just don't have the tools to like be innovative in the kitchen and like use different things in their fridge. Um, so it ends up going bad, or different ways to store their produce so mm-hmm. that the shelf life is longer. So a lot of different things I, I think play a part in that.
1: Yeah, I feel like you bring up an interesting point. I mean, for example. Um... I'm just speaking for personal experience, when I was in first year, given the fact that in, on campus there's like so many restaurants readily available for you or there's like even a grocery store at least on your campus, okay. you know, you lose that connection or you lose that touch. You're just like, oh, like I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll swing by Osmos or something like that and I'll buy this food, I'll buy this or whatever. Ew. You overbuy so many things and then obviously you start to get attached to these like kind of crappy foods and you end up throwing some of it out mm-hmm. as well. Uh, at least for my case, I feel like there were instances in which I would try to kind of cut down on that consumption and be more mindful, at least like cook a little bit more or uh, try to bring more things from home. But then I would end up failing like after a couple of days. So given your experiences with that, what advice would you give to people that are starting to get into that mindset of being more mindful with their consumption and learning how to cook from home and
2: things like that? Um, I think I would tell them to probably have a plan before you buy anything or go to the grocery store. Because um, a lot of times, things that go to waste are things you just buy on a, like on a whim, like when you're there and you're like, oh, I could, I could make, I see myself making this and this, and then it's and you don't end up. I do that. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> like I'm not perfect. <laughs> like I always do that, and it's just like, oh shoot, I forgot about this potato like <laughs> that, like a month ago. But um, yeah, I, I would recommend having a little more structure to when you're buying your food, like maybe even creating a monthly budget, right? Like, so you're allocating this much money and then also having a plan of like what meals you're going to make each week. So, you know, the exact ingredients um, that you have to buy or maybe even like meal Mm -hmm. prepping, you know, like I know a lot of people, it's not for everyone, but it does save time. If you, in the long run, like if you're just making things all at once, you can even freeze different pre-made meals. Um, and that way you can use all the produce once you get it. And also it's convenient for you. Cause then when you're actually in need of something and you don't have the time to cook, like, you know, your past self has like saved you and has got your back and ha- you have something in the fridge.
1: I will definitely put into that into practice. Uh... Because you know, I'm trying to <laughs> learn how to cook. I'm not a good cook. I know that Seba knows that, and a lot of my friends do know that. <laughs> no, I'm chill.
2: <laughs> sure. Hey, yeah, you gotta course, start from somewhere.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of just meal prepping and things like that, I know that as of now, I believe most of your diet is mostly plant-based, if I'm not mistaken. So, what's your experience with that? Given you know, maybe buying groceries. Uh, being more mindful of what you get instead of, as you said, going out on the whim and being like, oh, I'll take this. Oh, I'll take this like chicken or anything like that. But you're more conscious about the products that you buy. What's your experience with that?
2: So I like to, usually when I buy things, I try to get items that I know will be versatile in what I can make with it. I like to I, I mean, I have like this little thing where I actually work at a farmer's market. So it's a pretty great place to have access to a lot of local um produce and then to try new things uh as well. So I like to just like buy my staple things like, you know, onions, garlic, um, any greens like kale and stuff like that. And then I wanted I I kind of make it my goal to try one new item every week just so like I know what it Mm -hmm. is and like how to cook with it. Um and that that kind of adds like some fun in the kitchen too. You're just like, oh like I could make this or like you just even look up recipes right to get inspiration so yeah i usually the way i buy produce is i just usually buy my staple things that i use in like every dish and then i buy like more versatile products like i don't know kale potatoes i guess squashes in season right now Mm -hmm. um back when we had tomato season i um a lot of the imperfect tomatoes that they actually just ended end up throwing out after farmer's markets I took, and then I just canned them. So now I have a bunch of like fresh tomato (laughs) cans, (laughs) Uh, like whole tomatoes that you can use in like sauces, literally anything like they're, they're great. So even like getting experimenting with like um, different ways of preserving food would be cool. Um, But I, again, that might not be for everyone. So just buying uh, what you need and, um, things that serve different purposes and different dishes would be, yeah, that's, I mean, that's something that I go along when I buy. Now that I think
0: about it, and now that you brought up canning uh, tomatoes,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: I'm just thinking along the lines of, uh, like, trying to use food that would otherwise be wasted. I think, I'm just speaking from personal experience, but in general, I think that um, we have a tendency, like you said, to go away to, like, the fancier more convenient food and whatever and we forget a lot of the like older styles of cooking that we (laughs) had and i'm just thinking like how you brought it up my family makes this thing and it's like a romanian food it's like a whole amalgamation of like zucchini tomatoes peppers onions um eggplant if i haven't said it and it's, it's like this spread that you boil down, you cook it down, and uh, you crush it up, and you preserve it. We've made, like, I think we have 100 jars of it in our, like, basement. But oh, amazing. I, like, I didn't even realize it. Like, that's a pretty good use of all this produce, because we make it in mm-hmm. the fall, you know, when everything's in mm-hmm. season. Yeah. But, yeah, I think it's super easy to, like, forget about that kind of stuff. The, underlying older habits that people have yeah.
2: had we're well, to the joy in cooking. Yeah. Right? I think even like if, if canning is a little too daunting for someone like just freezing things too like making Um, I love the idea of, I've kind of like incorporated this this year only but going back to, to tomatoes like even getting things in season the produce mm-hmm. just tastes so much better than when you're in winter time and you're getting tomatoes at the grocery store and they're like white and they like,
1: taste
2: oh. like gum. yeah they just don't taste <laughs> like anything like there's no <laughs> <light for> them. <laughs> and uh so i just love the idea of like you know if you know something's in season uh if you can supporting local farmers or going get going to your local grocery store or whatever you have near you and then trying like making a bunch of like sauce or something that you can use on different dishes like very simple like literally just tomatoes Frozen, or like you can add like herbs or or salt or mm-hmm. something like that, and then just freezing it, and it'll definitely last up to like six months. And then each each time you you need something, you can just take it out of the freezer, um, and you'll have it ready to to eat. And it's like you know harvested in the season and it's just fresh. Um, so yeah, that could be another yeah. alternative. It's definitely easier than uh, definitely an easier start than canning. Uh, so.
0: Also, on the topic of canning, I don't know if this is a hot take or I'm like completely off, but at least from my experience with it, like it definitely is more complicated than freezing and whatever. Do you agree? Like whenever I look online to try and find recipes like, oh, how am I going to can this? How am I going to can that? There's actually so much canning propaganda out there. Like, I think people are like people who write these recipes. Maybe I'm just a caveman, but... There's all this talk about like oh you gotta you know sterilize boil uh, hmm. tighten the lids keep it upside down whatever <laughs> and like it seems like a a science experiment.
2: Yeah, I definitely went not down. Gonna
0: lie, that I school. don't do that at all, and I haven't died yet, so <laughs>
2: that's good. <laughs> that's a good sign. <laughs> <laughs> I think no, so. Anyone... What I've after reading a bunch about canning it, uh, I think my main thing is like. If you're bo- like I, I, watched a lot of videos, and I, the ones that I trust are the ones that are more like traditional, old, like Italian ladies that are like yeah. that've been doing this for years, right? Like in Italy. So I watched a video. Of this lady, she was actually born and raised in the part of Italy that grows tomatoes. So they would take like a whole week to can um, tomatoes during the season. Mm-hmm. And um, have for the rest of the year, pretty much. So she literally just would can the whole tomato, like wouldn't add anything to it because tomatoes are ac- acidic. So mm-hmm. I think just as an extra precaution, um, people say to like add salt and like lemon juice and stuff, which is fine. I mean, if you want to, but um, I I really trusted her <laughs> um, and I I did it just with the tomatoes itself and I, I it was fine. And I think as long as you, when you're boiling the cans, um, the jars over 45 minutes or 40 minutes, they say you don't have to sterilize them inside, um, because you're reboiling it. That's
0: propaganda, inside,
2: right? Uh, so it depends <laughs> on what you're, what you're putting, what you're jarring, and like how much acidity is is in there. But like I don't know, it got too technical to a point where I'm like, okay, I'm definitely overthinking this. I think I'll be fine with tomatoes. If it was something like a vegetable, which is a low um, acidic product, then I would do a little more research. You you can't even just like boil it; you have to pressure can it or something. So that's Mm -hmm. a little more like daunting for me. Uh, It's definitely the next step, but uh, I think in general, like just uh, do your own research and make your own judgment. (laughs) But so far, I'm alive too. So
0: that's good to hear. that's definitely good advice like read like mommy blogs on how to can food go listen to like actual italian grandmothers or like (laughs) old people because yeah they know what they're talking about more than like nancy from the suburbs oh my god
2: (laughs) (laughs) that's true yeah they have a little more and also just like with storing the jars too it's important to take off the rim because I think a lot of people don't do that, but um, if you just leave the rim on, you don't know it could create a false seal because it's holding the actual disc down. But when you take mm-hmm. it off, you know that it's like suctioned in place. So if it did were to, if it were to come off or if it wasn't um, sealed properly, you could see it. You would see it. <laughs> it would be moldy and stuff inside. But if there was a lid on it. Um, you wouldn't really know. And that's where you get like that issue of like botulism and stuff, like something that can grow <laughs> without oxygen. So yeah. um, that's something I've learned is just to always store it without um, the disc, on, I mean, the the ring on, and then to not stack them too, because obviously you can like r- r- like remove the seal from any of the jars. Um, but yeah, I mean, I haven't had any issues yet.
0: <laughs> we were talking about being plant-based and eating those kind of foods. I just wanted to hear, what's your take on the uh, Beyond Meat and like the Impossible Burgers and those kind of like uh, plant-based meat products? <laughs> now,
2: I mean, I'm I'm definitely all for them. It's uh, for me personally, I I enjoy having, I thrive, I guess, off of a whole food, plant-based diet. So just you know, eating things in their whole form, not necessarily not like rot or anything like that, but just like eating things as not unprocessed as possible. Um, mm-hmm. So I think my perspective on just like Beyond Meat and the new meat products, plant-based meal, meat products that are coming out is like, I'm all for it because that's creating a, a new, a completely new industry that um, can take away from the current meat industry, which is horrible for our environment and to animals too.
0: Yeah, I think my take is just that I think that those type of uh, plant-based burgers and plant-based products are like a good transition food.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Like if,
0: if you're trying to go more plant-based because it's like you're used to the taste of meat, mm-hmm. then, um,
1: <laughs> then you know, it's a good way to transition to it. Right. Mm-hmm. Speaking of just now that we're talking about Beyond Meat and different vegan products and things like that, I we did a bit of a small deep dive on uh, your social media, and we found out that you had vegan fish in Peru, if I'm not mistaken.
2: So fish Peru. Uh, <laughs> <vegan> in Peru. Did I Peru? What? Do have
1: to, don't worry. <laughs> maybe to word it uh, more correctly, like you had, uh, you experienced maybe a different diet when it comes to being in South America, like in Peru or Ecuador. And um, growing up uh, in Ecuador, I noticed that kind of saving some of the resources that we have, uh, for example. Uh, when I was in Ecuador we grew up and sometimes what people would do is that uh, when someone else bought a chicken the insides of the chicken were still saved and then they would sell that as well as mm-hmm. like a for a lower price so sometimes I would go to like the small supermarket or the small uh, farmers market and I'd be like I don't want the chicken itself I want like the insides of the chicken so I'd have to wait and yeah. then they would sell it or even like restaurants they would do like beefsteak and then after the like the restaurant was closed, they would use like the juice or like the sauce or whatever it is that they needed. Mm -hmm. Uh, They used throughout the whole day and they would sell that like separately without beef or anything like Mm -hmm. that, just like the juice itself. So that's more like a Mm -hmm. a frugality type of aspect. But then obviously as time went by more uh, big chain corporations came in and they, they don't practice that anymore. Mm -hmm. So given your experience in South America, how do you, would you compare, I would say uh, maybe North American practices when it comes to preserving food and um, maybe using as much as they can to countries like Peru or
2: Ecuador. I mean, that also just brings up a uh, its a great example of just highlighting how trends can change consumer demand for certain things. So, like, I even just recently, I mean, I was, like, uh, volunteering for Zawadi Farms, which mm-hmm. you guys know. Um, so, like, Jesse loves to, like, <laughs> talk about different things. And he was saying, like, Kale just spiked in like being a trendy, like, you know, yeah. health food kind of item. Mm-hmm. When in reality, there's so many other leafy greens that are equally or even more nutritious, right? But because it's a trend, that's why, you know, that's what increases the de- de- demand to produce more of that. And I think the same goes for even meat, right? Like if people only are looking to eat like lean or meat, like, you know, chicken, or what like chicken breasts or whatever yeah. like that um there's more demand to create just that which creates all the other stuff that's from the the chicken like to just be wasted because like there's stigma against it i think it's a cultural thing as well like you're saying mm-hmm. and i i really do believe like you know in per- places like peru or like places that i guess value the food a little more or have different cultural background are a little more frugal in that way because they see the value in like the animal being used and they make sure that everything is at least has a purpose um but yeah definitely i've i've noticed the contrast in in north america just like if there's a demand for certain things it's just like oh we got to create like a mass production of that only thing another example too is even with like shark fin mm-hmm. soup like because that was a very popular dish even for me growing up um in chinese culture like they they were just like slaughtering a bunch of these these sharks just for the fin, and I I remember just watching videos and like I don't know why they were showing this to us. Oh, it was like a dog I've seen it, I've seen sharks. it. And they would just like cut off the fin and throw the body in the water. And another yeah. byproduct of that is like because they're using these huge fishing nets to catch the sharks, they're catching all these other byproducts, endangered species like like other different fish that they don't need um in the process and then all of them just end up dying because like, you know, they're just caught as a byproduct for this really expensive thing that we all like cherish. And then um there's so much waste behind it though. So I definitely think um culture plays a part in like how much we how much of like the product we use. And um I, I definitely saw it firsthand when I was traveling and coming back home. Mm-hmm. So yeah.
1: just uh, for research, we know that at some point you did notice you mentioned that you went from maybe binging on like Halloween candy and things like that to now uh, trying and attempting and successfully so enjoying more real food, like cook, food mm-hmm. uh, food that you cook and like you actually are experienced with. Mm-hmm. Uh, what advice would you give to university kids like us uh, or anybody listening who may have like a really crappy diet right now, myself included? I want to just <laughs> improve it a little bit better.
2: I think it's important to know, like nobody's perfect. Like I, I mean, I still, I mean, very rarely, but I mean, I still indulge in different things. But I think what really helped me to with that transition is learning more about nutrition. Like uh, that's what I studied in school, and and understanding like how to optimize my body to its full potential. And like I just had that drive to want to feel better and like Mm. eat better. I think the intention behind doing it to begin with is like what really helps motivate people. I don't think it it should be something where you're just depriving yourself like, Oh, like I'm not going to eat that because it's not the right choice or like because someone else told me not to eat it. Right. Like it's just not a sustainable Mm. way to live your life too. (laughs) Like, I I love the rule, the 80, 20, 20 rule of just like, you know, 80% of the time you can eat relatively um, good quality food if you can, like, or is the best option that you have um, in your circumstance. And then in 20%, like live your life. Right. (laughs) So I I think for, so I think the intention is definitely something that helps with that transition. And also, um, as what comes along with that is also a change in your palate. So I, I haven't drank any like pop or anything like for years. Really? And because of that, I don't know. It's just like, it doesn't really serve a right. purpose for me. you know, like it, it doesn't quench my thirst and I, I can, I guess I also find an alternative because I make um, kombucha right. at home. So it's very similar <laughs> really? with the carbonation to, um, to pop naturally sweet with like, fruit juice or whatever you flavor it to be but it's actually good for your gut and it's not just like artificial like carbonated drinks that like don't aren't really good for you so i think finding even different alternatives that um like serve you in flavor or like satisfy you in that in that taste aspect um can help kind of transition you even like you were saying with like the beyond meat like that's a great transitional product Mm -hmm. if you're like trying to go more plant based Right. And again, with every change in your life, like it's not about being perfect. It's just about, it's so cheesy, but it's like the journey <laughs> and it's, it's all about just um, learning and like growing each day. Right. Like, Oh, you made up, made a mistake. You slipped up this day. Like, don't beat yourself up about it. There's like, you have the rest of your right. life to like, you know, keep trying. So if you're, you're yourself like stuck eating like unhealthy things, like, literally just again set that intention like why you want to make these changes you want to feel better you want to like um be more healthy or whatever reason it is um and then once you've done that maybe make it make small goals every week so for the next week you could be like okay instead of instant noodles i'm gonna actually make my own pasta and then like get some sauce and like like Put a little more effort, but like have a little bit of a more nutritious meal that I I make right. myself, right? Um, so it almost empowers yourself too that you're you're doing something for yourself and you're making it. And then gradually over time, your palate will change that you don't even really crave the things that you used to. Like I I don't know, like I just even the other day, like they at work, like my boss brought like chips in, and I I had like one or two. And I was like, I remember this taste, like, it's so addictive. But then it was just like, I don't know, like, this, it's just like a completely different experience because you, you're you just not That's exposed good. to it as, as much. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's almost like a little overwhelming. I'm like, okay, that was... Too a little much? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I feel my heart slowing down. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> not that, to that extent, but like, I don't know. I think your, your palate will change over time when you start incorporating those small changes. Yeah,
1: I think it's like that whole... Um changing your mindset from I can't to I don't want to so it's like like oh, I have yeah, this cake exactly. you're like I can't like that will trick your mind into thinking like yeah oh, I want to do it but I just can't mm-hmm. so I'm just gonna restrict myself exactly but, yeah
2: yeah and that eventually builds up to you end up like you know you're you, you end exactly. up yeah. like a couple of days later because yeah. you're like oh like and then you have resentment you're like oh why did I do this like that person told me and it's just like it's just yeah. not a good thing to do in general. Yeah. Even with like, um, I guess that kind of relates to like eating plant-based, right? People are like, oh, you can't have this. You can't have that. It's like, it's not a restrictive diet because I, I, it's not that I can't have that. It's, I choose not to have it, right? So everything's a choice in life. And I think when you see it in that lens, you're less, you're a little bit more free, right? You're not restricting yourself from just making decisions for yourself and like choosing, um, better choices, um, in your diet. So I don't know. I think that that is definitely the, the foundation of what, um, can drive long-term changes in behavior and like habits.
1: Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, well, that's all the time that we have for today, but honestly, thank you very much for, (laughs) we could have gone for like two hours, honestly, like
2: I know, yeah. At least <laughs> second
1: time, time. like, like you know, I feel like we're just getting started another another whole section. Um, but thank you very much for uh, being a part of today's podcast, Monique I just wanted to ask if there's anything that you would like to plug or anything that you would like to make sure that the listener is aware of.
2: Yeah, sure. So uh, I guess you can find my company, Bruised, um, at Bruised Co. So Bruised is spelled B R U I Z E D. C O. And then you can also find our website bruised.com and we're going to be updating it uh, by the end of this month so you can order our products and stuff online. Um, So yeah, that's uh that's what I'm working on right now. And it'd be great if you wanted to join us on our journey of producing food waste.
0: All right. Thank you for listening, everybody. And as Monique said, life is about choices. And you can make better choices for yourself. Better choices? Like following us where you get your podcasts on Instagram, on Facebook, and on YouTube. So make sure you do that for yourself. (laughs) Thanks for listening, everybody. Goodbye.